Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. You know, I didn't plan it this way, but I don't think it could have worked out much better. Yesterday, we talked on our program about the fact that I thought that ESPN had gotten something wrong as it relates to Georgia. Now, the truth is, ESPN these days seems to get a lot wrong. But in this particular case, I thought that they'd gotten one thing wrong as it relates to Georgia in talking about the biggest need they saw for UGA, we enjoy those sort of conversation starter type things this time of year. We've said that before. But in talking about the biggest need for Georgia uh, for the upcoming season, one of the things that the writer Mark Schlebaugh mentioned was the Georgia secondary. What I said was, listen, at this stage of the game, it seems like the Georgia secondary, even if you're sort of switching out some names on a year-to-year basis, that's pretty much a proven commodity. And you've got a guy like Malachi Starks, who already is one of the top players in college football. If you've got a long track record for success – a proven commodity, one of the best players in the country who plays in that secondary, then how big of a concern could the UGA secondary really be? Not to say there aren't unanswered questions, but we assume those unanswered questions will eventually have emphatic answers. And so we feel okay about the Georgia secondary, even if it's somewhat in flux. But that doesn't mean, and you heard us say this yesterday, that doesn't mean that Georgia doesn't have some real legitimate concerns. What I said on the show was, hey, listen, I've said this kind of a lot, that I think that one of the biggest things for Georgia as it tries to get back into the national championship conversation for the upcoming year, one of the biggest things is going to be, can you rebuild that offensive line? I should say that defensive line. Can you rebuild that defensive line? Can you replenish that defensive line and be – with that unit on that side of the ball, what you were in national championship seasons in 2021 or 2022, or perhaps said a little bit better, you know, you don't necessarily have to replicate three first-round picks the way that you had in 2021, or if you want to count Jalen Carter, a total of four first-round picks on that defensive line, or the situation in 2022 when Jalen Carter may have been the most awesome force for any team in the country when he was healthy and playing. You don't quite have to have that level of dynamic play from your defensive line, but you probably do need to be a little more dynamic, perhaps, than Georgia was at times in 2023. That was a topic that we addressed on yesterday's show. And then, lo and behold, yesterday at the NFL Scouting Combine, the sort of first official Georgia moment of that combine, former Georgia defensive lineman Zion Logue, for what it's worth, the only former Dogs defensive lineman at the combine this week, Well, Zion Logue spoke with reporters there at the event. One of the questions that came up was what he, and I do love this time of year. I love when the former Georgia players are at things like the Combine and they get a chance to talk about the guys that are still left behind them there at UGA because nobody knows the group better. And sometimes being a little bit removed from the program, eligibility is expired, you're moving on the NFL draft. Sometimes when you're kind of moving on, you have a tendency to be maybe a little bit more candid about some things than you might be when you're kind of within the confines of the typical Georgia media structure. You understand all of that. And so Logue yesterday was asked, hey, tell me about this defensive line that's still in place with you no longer a part of it. As you're going to the NFL, what's still at Georgia? Tell me how good you think this group can be here this year. And Zion Logue did not hold back in his belief that this has a chance to be a very good group. In fact, that's not even strong enough words. Much better than that, he thinks this group can be here this year. This is what Zion Logue said from Indianapolis yesterday. 
A lot of those guys, um, Warren, Nas, uh, not not the D tackle, uh, Mike Hill. He's gonna have a huge, huge season coming up this year, man. That our our room, our room, our room is so loaded. Like a lot of people don't, we don't get the recognition that we deserve because a lot of time our defense is just so good. But just it's it's, it's gonna be a scary sight this season. I mean, how much do you love that Zion Logan saying the Georgia defense line this upcoming season is going to be? He says a scary sight to see and that group is far more loaded that's another word that he uses far more loaded than people realize and isn't it interesting to hear me on a I guess it would have been a Tuesday saying major concern no, that would have been a Wednesday major concern about the uh, Georgia defensive line and then shortly after that Zion Logue says let me tell you how good I think this group can be uh, here this particular season I think that's a fascinating quote from Zion Logue now I also think the quote overall leads to a pretty important takeaway from us. You heard Zion Logue mention three guys by name right there. He mentions Nazir Stackhouse, he mentions Warren Brinson, and he also mentions Mikhail Williams. Let's put a pin in Mikhail Williams for a moment. and Let's talk about Warren Brinson and Nazir Stackhouse. This was an exchange that I had with Mike Griffith on Wednesday where, you know, Mike brings up the point, and I do get the kind of symmetry of this, that, well, in 2021, you know, guys like Devontae White and Jordan Davis made the decision to return to Georgia. And that decision to return kind of propelled Georgia to a national championship. That is true. Narratively speaking, I believe that's true. And so it's easy to want to look at two defensive linemen who also chose to return, Warren Brinson and Nazir Stackhouse, and say, okay, now it's your turn to be what Davis and Wyatt were. I think to a certain extent, that's kind of maybe a little bit unfair because the truth is Jordan Davis, gigantic as he is, is also kind of a plus athlete for his size. Uh, Devontae Wyatt, you know, a plus athlete, I would say, for for you know his size there as well. Not to say that Brinson and Nazir Stackhouse aren't incredibly athletic, but in terms of the way in which Davis and Wyatt truly blossomed in their final year at UGA, I'd take some of the pressure uh, uh, you know, off Brinson and Stackhouse. You know, clearly they want to do the same stuff, of course, but I'd say in terms of Georgia being what we all wanted to be, I don't know that Brinson and Stackhouse need to be the version of what Davis and Wyatt were in 2021 in order for that to happen. They certainly don't need to be what Jalen Carter was in 2022 for Georgia to be able to have that success. They just need to contribute to a defensive line that improves its play compared to the totality of the unit a year before. The one stat that has come up on the show this week was the idea that Georgia last season in 2023, in terms of rushing yards per game, just 20th best in America. It's not bad, but that's not Georgia. What Georgia is, is 2022 when it was best in the country in terms of rushing yards allowed per game. And in 2021, when it was behind only Wisconsin as the number two rush defense, of course, knowing that Wisconsin plays in the three yards and cloud of dust style Big Ten, a little bit easier to produce those type of stats. You know, Georgia essentially best in the nation in run defense in its national championship seasons, a little bit below that in 2023. That's what you hope, I think, that Stackhouse and Brinson can really provide for you sort of a return to form in terms of being stout against the run, which then unleashes the Georgia defense to do some of the other things that it's done really well in its national championship seasons. And that's where the other name that Brinson mentions, I think, becomes really important here. I do believe that if we made a list of the most important players on the Georgia roster for this upcoming season, one of the guys that would rightly be on that list is one of the names that Zion Logue just mentioned. It's Mikael Williams. 
See, what I really thought the story of the 2023 defense was supposed to be was the face of the defense kind of emerging from sort of the outside edge. One of the guys that I had circled on that was Mikael Williams. For whatever reason, Williams didn't quite materialize that way this past season. Smarter people than me would explain why that is. Perhaps it's because he was maybe playing out of position more than that in a moment. I also thought that a guy like Marvin Jones Jr. could be that. I really kind of predicted that would be the case, and for whatever reason, that didn't really happen either. Damon Wilson may have been a little too young, but I really thought the story of the 2023 defense was supposed to be in a year in which Georgia doesn't have the Jalen Carter, doesn't have the Jordan Davis, doesn't have the Trayvon Walker, the Devontae Wyatt. Can you find sort of an edge rusher type player coming off the outside part of the defense? Can you find a guy like that? to kind of become the face of this defense and sort of redefine the playing personality for that unit. And Georgia probably stopped short of that. In fact, not only did they stop short of that kind of lofty projection, the truth is they kind of regressed, right? I mean, they gave up rushing yards on the outside. I mean, some of the rush defense we talked about before were, you know, you know, the edge not being set and guys finding success, you know, on the outside runs in a way that we certainly were not customary. Uh, and used to seeing, you know, when it came to Georgia football. But when you think about what Georgia needs to be here in 2024, a guy like Mikhail Williams, who's got all the accolades and all the attention, uh, you know, who's kind of look at the preseason projections for him just this past season. You know, all of the spotlight is on Mikhail Williams. And, and this year for UGA, I, I think that the prediction that in a roundabout way Zion Logue makes there, it really needs to come true. You know, Mikael Williams needs to have that kind of year for Georgia. It sort of takes you back a little bit to, as well, in Miami prior to the Orange Bowl, uh, Georgia defensive coordinator Glenn Schumann talking about Mikael Williams. Now, the the audio on this was not great, so I just decided to turn this into a quote. So if you're watching, I'm going to throw this in the screen. And if you're listening radio and podcast, I'm going to read it to you. So what Schumann said about Mikael Williams at the time, in terms of the position fit and the idea that maybe he sort of slides – outside of the defensive end spot, you know, hand on the ground, so to speak, and kind of becomes a little bit more of an edge rusher, kind of playing stand-up. Uh, what Schumann says there is Mikel's an edge player. I mentioned this earlier. He's always cross-trained at other positions. Sometimes you say changing role, the things that you've cross-trained in terms of, hey, being able to play defensive end and being a bigger outside linebacker, you decide that based on who's your best 11 in the field and what your opponent's doing. He, uh, Schumann goes on to say, I know this. We'd like to play him on the edge more, whether that's at defensive end, Jack, that's one of the linebacker positions, anything from that standpoint. He's one of our best players. We want to make sure that he's doing what he does best more often. That last sentence that Glenn Schumann speaks there is so important. Talent-wise, you know, uh, you know what he's shown in kind of early days as, as a Georgia player, there's no doubt in my mind that Mikael Williams really is, as Glenn Schumann says, one of Georgia's best players. And what Schumann also sort of projects for him, we need, to make, we need to make sure he's doing what he does best more often. That's exactly what you want to hear from your defensive coordinator and exactly what I think the path needs to be for Mikael Williams here this season. Look, the bottom line is I love Zion Logue's projection for the Georgia defensive line. I love the fact that he's got confidence in his guys. I, I enjoy mentioning veteran players who made – a very crucial decision to return to Georgia. Big things, of course, for Warren Brinson and big things, of course, for Nazir Stackhouse. Of course, that's the case. But if we're thinking about like sort of future NFL draft projections, just to be honest, 2025 and and, and perhaps beyond, 
you know, a guy like Mikael Williams is one of, going to be one of those guys that's sort of expected to be the first-round pick on this year's Georgia defense. Whether it's an outside linebacker, a defensive end, whatever he is, as an edge rusher, he's the type of guy who's sort of viewed to have that first-round draft pick potential. I don't know that we saw that as much as we could from Mikael in 2023, but boy, you got a chance to show that in 2024, both in terms of how Georgia chooses to use him and also in terms of what Mikael is able to display about his own talents and abilities. Zion Logue thinks the Georgia defensive line can be scary good for this upcoming season. We think defensive line, we sort of think front seven overall and the way the edge rushers impact that. I would say that Mikael Williams needs to be the face of this scary good Georgia defensive front here this year. And the loads of talent, the loaded level of talent that Logue thinks he sees at Georgia that other people might not know about, well, it's time for Zion Logue and or I should say it's time for Mikael Williams and others to truly introduce themselves to everybody in America and prove Zion Logue right along the way. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Meriwether and Tharp, and we are happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us. Live on video, it's 10 a.m. across all platforms. It's Radio Athens, Sports Radio 960 The Ref. Of course, podcasts, wherever you find them, including the world-famous dognation.com. We post the show each and every day. We are so happy to have you as part of the program and so thankful to our friends at Meriwether and Tharp who make it all possible. And one of the reasons why I'm thankful for that, obviously, they're great supporters of ours, and we're genuinely appreciative of that. But for me, this goes beyond just what I get out of this relationship. Uh, I would say that what really matters to me is what you get out of this there as well. And listen, so many of you have been so kind over the years to sort of tell me the story of your life when good things are happening. Hey, BA, just got a new job or just had a new child or you know something along those lines. And also when hard times have come your way, you've been kind enough to make us a part of that there too because we enjoy the community we all have together. And what I know is in the life of a Georgia football fan, the likes of which who listens to this, you're going to have all kinds of ups and downs, good times, bad times, you know, things that you can control. Sometimes you find circumstances that are sort of out of your control. You're just simply playing the hand that life has dealt you. And in some cases, that involves the divorce process. I don't say that like flippantly or casually. I mean, I say that with full knowledge that if you find yourself dealing with divorce or fearful that you might be dealing with divorce, well, it's one of the scariest things you can ever encounter. And I can't like make that completely disappear and I can't make that completely go away. But what I can tell you is, is if you see this as an unavoidable reality for you, then the next best thing you can do for yourself, the next right thing to do is to make sure you've got a good sort of explainer and advocate to walk through all of this with you. Obviously, someone to advocate on your behalf, that's really important, but also someone to explain to you the steps and the choices and the options and all of that. And there's no better group of folks to do that than our friends at Meriwether and Tharp. I want you to find them online. It's georgiadivorceteam.com. That's the website georgiadivorceteam.com. It's a little bit of a new website for them, and part of the reason that is they're expanding their reach. They have office in Savannah now. they got offices coming in Athens. You know, they What they've done in the Atlanta area for such a long time, they are now looking to do across the state of Georgia. And I think that's really important because they've served people so well here in the community where I live, and now they want to serve all across the state and really live up to the moniker we say, your source for Georgia divorce. That's what Meriwether and Tharp is all about. One of the ways in which they can do that for you is by providing you a sense of cost certainty about the divorce process. There's a lot of different options you can choose from. If you want the sort of full service traditional coverage, you can get that. You want a DIY option because you feel like your you know circumstances are a little bit less complicated and you think uh, you can do something like that. Well, you can get the DIY option for as low as $99. 
A lot of people, and perhaps the most people, I think are gravitating towards what they call the model M&T service, which includes a payment plan. You can do that on a subscription basis per month while your divorce process is ongoing. Or if you want to play it, pay a flat rate, you can do that there as well. A lot of options. They're very creative in terms of how they serve you. So please check them out one more time. It's georgiadivorceteam.com. That's the website. georgiadivorceteam.com. Meriwether and Tharp is your source for Georgia Divorce. All right, we have two great guests in our program here today. It's Jake Fromm coming up a little bit later on. Jake obviously knows James Coley very well. Coley now being back as wide receivers coach. What kind of coach is Georgia getting based on the guy who was the starting quarterback for the year in which Coley was offensive coordinator? And obviously there was some criticism of Coley that year. So we'll let Jake tell us what's really going on with all of that here coming up in just a bit. And speaking of new Georgia coaches, Terrence Edwards has also got some interesting perspective on all of that too. We will get to that in a couple of moments there too. But prior to that, let's go around the doghouse. I want to hear a little bit more from Zion Logue for a moment. And one of the things that Logue talked about yesterday, and Zion is far from the first, you know, former Georgia player, former SEC player, to say something along the lines of this, that as he gets ready to move on to the NFL, he believes he's a more valuable prospect than some of the guys he's competing with to be on NFL rosters because of the league that he played in, the SEC. And yesterday, Logue really put that in no uncertain terms, that he's more prepared for Sundays because of the very tough Saturdays he's played in as a part of this league we call the SEC. Let me let you hear Zion Logue say that as a part of Around the Doghouse here. 100%, because, you know, you, it's never a down week in SEC, just like it's never it's never a down week in NFL. You can go out on any, on any given Sunday, Monday, or Thursday and get your butt, get your, uh, butt kicked. So. So because of the dominance that Georgia has shown in the SEC, including another undefeated regular season here this year, albeit coming up a little bit short in the SEC championship, it probably does not surprise you too much to find out that Logue believes that his team would have just been more prepared for a Michigan and a potential national championship game if it could have been the playoff than, say, a team like Washington. And, you know, Zion, you're going to hear that's kind of funny – He's sort of very careful not to sort of say the kind of thing that can go viral, and I would say that's perhaps with good reason. He's there to play football, not to create viral quotes, and so he's going to be somewhat careful about the words that he uses. But the general sentiment that that Logue expresses here is something that I believe almost every Georgia fan agrees with, that if Georgia could have been in that playoff, if it had been selected to be there, there's a very good chance it would be Georgia talking about a third straight national championship instead of Michigan talking about finally winning one. And I thought that Zion was pretty candid about this yesterday. Let me let you hear this, too. I definitely feel like we would have won it, but that's just you, – you, you're not going to say you're going to make it all the way to the national championship and lose. Sure. But I, I feel like we would have did some, some things different. Well, well, tell me, having seen Michigan, you played them before. What? How would that game have played out from what you saw out of them? Um. Honestly, I, it, we, I feel like our defense would have just – we would have stacked up – Trying to word this so I don't get clicked. <laughs> <laughs> um, Pac-12 football going against uh, Big Ten caliber, but SEC caliber offensive line. They don't really have the beef in the middle to stop that run. I, I can say, but they they did what they have. They did what they could with the, what they had. So I feel like that was the the changing the changing point. Yeah, listen, I've got no problem with what uh, Logue is saying there. I think most Georgia fans probably agree with that, too, that Georgia was certainly a better team than Washington, and we were thinking a head-to-head matchup 
There's no reason for Georgia to be afraid of Michigan at all. Yes, Georgia has to live with the pain of coming up three points short against Alabama, but could Georgia have won that game? And maybe would some of us predicted that Georgia would have won that game. I would say, of course, we would have. And I think the point you build to in all this is, is that there are a lot of people, and some of these people are even Georgia fans themselves, of, well, Georgia has no right to say that because Georgia lost. Georgia may have only been the second-best team in the SEC this year on the basis of on-field results, having obviously lost the Crimson Tide in the SEC championship. And what we try to tell you at the time is, we feel very strongly about this, is that the idea that Georgia should have conceded the college football playoff argument and discussion simply because it lost its SEC championship game to Alabama, that was never as logical or as true as some people were convinced that it was. It was conventional wisdom that was the prevailing viewpoint of the majority of people, but just because it was a minority opinion that Georgia should have been in the top four doesn't mean it was any less wrong. And what we see is the evolution now, the college football playoff, would seem to suggest how right I was in this. We're going to talk more about this later on the show, but I want to show you this from Ross Dellinger on the screen here for a moment. So we know this was the last year of the 14 playoff here in 2023. We also know that we're going into a 12-team playoff for the next couple of years. But then beyond that, Ross Dellinger says we're right there on the doorstep of expanding to a 14-team playoff, which is going to include three automatic qualifiers for both the SEC and the Big Ten compared to just two for the Big 12 and the ACC, and then one from the group of five, and then three more at-large teams. And this format is somewhat controversial, as you might imagine. We're going to talk later on about just why that is. But the point I'm getting to here is that some people look at this and they're like, well, how can the SEC be guaranteed more playoff spots than the ACC or guaranteed more playoff spots than Big 12? How can that be the case? And the answer is it's because it's a better league, and it's always been a better league. And now that it makes financial sense to acknowledge that, that's what the college football playoff seems to want to do. But when it did not make financial sense to acknowledge that, college football was more than happy to pretend that all the leagues are equal and that if you're the conference champion of this league, you're better than the second best team of this other league because we're pretending that all of this is a level playing field and all of this is equal. But that was never true. And Zion Logue points that out. Had we played Michigan, we played better than Washington? Of course we would have because we are better than Washington because we are in a better league. And that was always true, and that should have always been the dominant argument, as we said over and over. Why would a team like Washington, who doesn't even you know want to be in its own conference anymore, why would that conference championship hold any weight with us? The same thing for Texas coming out of the Big 12 or whatever else. Uh, that the argument of Georgia being one of the best teams in the country because it plays in one of the best leagues, the year-over-year best league in the country, of course that was the winning argument, even if it wasn't the prevailing opinion at the time. So we would say the future of the college football playoff sort of proves that. Now that the financial incentive is acknowledging the truth, yes, the SEC is better than other leagues, that's what this committee seems willing to do. But when it made more financial sense to pretend that wasn't the case, they wanted to go the opposite direction. But just because they pretended all the leagues were equal, that didn't make them equal. I believe that Georgia has been on the wrong end of kind of an unfair and illogical process a couple of times in the playoff era. So if anybody's in favor of expanding to 14, it probably ought to be UGA. And Zion Logue's words perhaps explain why that is the case. That is around the doghouse here today there as well on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. Fun show for us. It's Jake Fromm later on. We'll kind of do more of all of the changes, including college football playoff, that seem to be on the way here. We'll get to that coming up before we're done. But for now, 
on everything as it relates to UGA, maybe a little bit on Mikael Williams, but also a lot on how uh, wide receivers are viewing the brand-new coaching hires for Georgia. Let's do all of that right now as we talk to Terrence Edwards here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Great to have Terrence Edwards as a part of Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp here today. Got the Mount Vernon sweatshirt on, looking good there on all of that. Terrence, we're glad to have you as a part of the program. And let me jump in with a little bit of what we were just discussing a moment ago. We'll get more into detail about this later on. We haven't even had a 12-team playoff yet, and there's already heavy discussion about moving to 14, and you get all these automatic qualifiers, and you're essentially creating a version of a postseason almost unrecognizable to anything the sport's ever had before. What do you make of the fact that this is not like just sort of rumor and innuendo, but uh, apparently a very real discussion that even more change could be on its way for college football? Do you think this is too much? I think it's, it's all about the money. I think it always has been. Um, I mean, I think uh, 12 for the next few years and 14. So why didn't, why did we skip eight, skip six, uh, jump to 12? Um, you know, I don't think anyone's going to be ever happy uh, with the model because someone is always going to get left out. It looks like it's going to be a Big Ten SEC <laughs> invitation. Yeah. And those are, those are the best two football leagues. So that's what the people I could get that's probably normally I'm all for it. Yeah, it's kind of funny. It's like you know, you don't really hear as much about who the best team is and how do you decide the most deserving champion. It does sort of seem to be more about how do you get the most money for the SEC and the Big Ten, the two biggest leagues? How do you create some level of access for the other conferences? Because you can make a case that they're going to give two spots to the Big 12. Well, why does the Big 12 deserve that? I mean, based on what this league looks like now with Texas and Oklahoma no longer in it, uh, you almost make the case of why are, we sh- why are we sure they deserve two teams? It's like, you know, this seems to be a discussion about access for lesser powers and money for the greater powers and the actual discussion of, you know, how do you get the best teams in and create the best possible games? That just doesn't seem to be as much a part of the discussion right now. And for someone like me who truly loves college football and, frankly, has kind of enjoyed the college football playoff, it kind of concerns me how little the competitive part of this discussion seems to even be a part of the talk at all. Right. I, I'm right. The witch, I want to see competitive games. I, uh, I, for one, didn't enjoy the 63-3 beat down in Florida State from Georgia. I enjoyed the Texas the TCU because it was the national championship game, but I like I want to see competitive games uh, amongst college football um, traditional powerhouses. So I don't want to see the traditional beatdowns of Georgia B, even though that's my school, and I would love to see them win. I don't want to see that. I want to see a competitive game. I want to see what my school and what my players are made of. Want you get to a point where you're playing the likes of Michigan or uh, Ohio State on a consistent basis in the playoffs. I talked about Mikael Williams a little bit before you joined us, just based on something that Zion Logue had said yesterday at the NFL Scouting Combine. I feel pretty confident saying, Terrence, I believe that on paper, Mikael's one of like two or three most important players in this entire team. That if you're going to have, you know, a really true kind of breakout elite level player, Malachi Stark's probably already there. I'd say the next most likely option to join a guy like Malachi in a discussion like that 
is probably Mikael Williams. Do you agree with that assessment? And if you do, how good do you think that Mikael can be here this year at Georgia? And how much better can he make the Georgia defensive front as he kind of takes that next step? I think the best thing that Georgia have done for Mikael is moving him out uh, to be an outside pass rusher instead of an inside five technique. Um, you saw it in, in the Florida State game, what he could do on the edge. And I think uh, that's probably one of his biggest strengths is his size and ability to rush the passer. And I just think that's one of the things that any great program needs is that guy who can put pressure on the quarterback without having to manufacture blitzes or manufacturing pressure by bringing a plus one. Um, so I, I can't wait to see what he's able to do when he's truly an edge rusher. Um, and he has the size to stack up against uh, tackles to set the edge in the run game. So I'm excited to see. And he is one of the most important parts because you always need talented guys in the in the defensive line. Yeah, that's indeed the case. And what I'm about to say is going to make me sound like more of like a scout than I actually am or more of a football maybe on the field expert than I actually am. But you, know, you think about like when Nolan was here and as an outside linebacker, and one of the knocks on Nolan, listen, Nolan was an, uh, truly an all-time great player at Georgia, but one of the knocks was you know, as an edge rusher, pass rusher, sometimes as a not the biggest guy in the world, became a little bit easy to get absorbed by some of those offensive tackles. To me, if a guy like Mikael Williams is potentially playing the outside linebacker position, assuming he's got the speed to get around the outside, you know, someone who brings a little bit more size to that uh, position – I think kind of gives Georgia maybe a little something that hasn't had there at that spot. We all love Nolan. We think Nolan was a great player. But Nolan never had big sack numbers or anything like that here, and I think his size was perhaps one of the reasons why that was the case. Also, perhaps how Georgia chose to use him from a schematic standpoint. But a bigger outside linebacker, bigger edge rusher type that's big enough to kind of do battle with these offensive tackles. Uh, Terrence, to me, that's a very interesting kind of football scenario that Georgia could have itself in here this year. I think so, and I think if we were a, a base 4-3 defense, that he would be a traditional uh, defensive end. So I, I do think that's the ability and the skill set to go out and be an edge pass rusher. Like you said, he's a bigger body than Nolan. Um, I mean, you've you seen you know, Nolan 6'1", 230, but he had blazing speed, and I, and I think Michael goes to the 6'4", 6'5", 250 range. So he is that traditional type. 4-3 defensive end with the skill set to play outside linebacker. So I'm excited to see what he can do on the edge, and I think it's probably his best position. So I want to transition here to the new coaches that Georgia just hired, and I want to acknowledge the fact that, you know, over the course of the last couple of weeks with Georgia having a wide receiver coaching opening, you know, we had so many of our people saying, hey, the guy I want for that job is Terrence Edwards. That's the guy that I want. And, of course, I've made it very clear that I'm, you know, I'm not a neutral observer on this. I'm a homer on this that – uh, I, A, think you would be great in a job like that. B, I do believe that you're going to be a college coach at some point in time. I also told our people that you've you know, just become a head coach. I know how excited you are about all of that. But let me give you a chance just to respond to what's been kind of a hot topic among a lot of our audience that, you know, as colleges such as Georgia are thinking about wide receiver coaches, that someone like you who has a history of on-field coaching and obviously great relationships with elite-level wide receiver recruits, which is the name of the game after all, that you'd be a good fit for a role like that. What do you think personally about the fact that, you know, so many you know people have kind of touted you for a job like this? I think you know, it's very humbling and honored that my name comes up when those jobs are open. Um, I love 
teaching disposition. I know that I have a unique skill set and a unique perspective on this position. And I know I would a great job. Uh, I think, you know, having the wide receiver job at Georgia, that comes with a great expectation. I think Kirby at this time is definitely in a position to bring in probably more experience. Coaches that have coached on an experience level, on that level, um, but that doesn't mean that there are better coaches than me. So I understand uh, why that uh, he hires the people hire, and everyone know how I feel about Coach Coley. Uh, once he got the job, I text him. He's one of my favorite coaches, and um, he have he did a great job in recruiting and coaching those receivers when he was the, the first time. So I'm excited about this hire. So, you know, timing is everything. I just got the job at Mount Vernon. I'm here right now at Mount Vernon, um, and I love what I'm doing right now. So even if that uh, opportunity didn't present itself. I am in a great opportunity where I'm at. I'm love where I'm at. So, you know, one day, you know, that may be my calling to coach at the collegiate level, but I love impacting um, high school kids as well. So wherever God has me, the timing um, of that, you know, opportunities will come out. I think we may have lost Terrence. I know he's having a little bit of an issue with the signal there, but you're hearing him say that a that he's very happy with the job that he just took there at Mount Vernon. And I think getting a chance to be a head coach here at the high school level in Georgia is obviously a really cool job, but also really kind of touting the uh, the, the job that James Coley's doing there too. I believe we have Terrence back. Terrence, I know your time is limited. Let me squeeze in one more with you. You know, we've seen at DogNation.com Travis Smith, a guy that you know very well, kind of tout. Uh, James Coley, I believe uh, another one of your protégés, C.J. Wiley, uh, has kind of done some of the same thing here. So talk to us about that, if you don't mind, the way in which James Coley has a history of really forging really strong relationships with receivers, such as the guys that you work with. And obviously throughout the years at a number of positions there as well, he is well known as a great recruiter. Would you mind speaking to us for a moment about how impactful Coley can be as a recruiter here now in Georgia? Yes, man, he's a guy that can relate to these kids. And um, once he gets you on the phone, he's a likable uh, human being, a good human being. So it's, it's, it's not, you know, I, I think he is, you know, the perfect guy for this situation. I think he is a guy that will form a relationship with Trav, with CJ, and all the other receivers that he's going to recruit. And it's just going to be a seamless transition from – of McClendon to back to James Coley. So I think this hire was a, a no-brainer for uh, for Kirby. Um, but I would have loved to have had Kirby to hire Hines and me. Yeah. I, was just, I was just joking with somebody like, hire both of us and we could kill two birds with one stone. It seemed like that was the the ongoing talk on social media, you know, hire Hines and myself. Why not hire both of us? That's but, right. You know, I'm – I'm happy where I'm at. If that opportunity would have presented itself, I would definitely have to uh, take a long look at it and just see if it fits for my family. Um, and that's what it's going to come down to. Does it fit for my family? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously the the workload involved with college ball, as you know now, is intense. And I know you've got, uh, you know, uh, you know, children and family and you enjoy being a part of the stuff that they're doing. I think balancing the schedule. It's one of the things we see happening a lot right now where a lot of these college coaches, like, yeah, I'm not sure I want to do this anymore. That that it is a real consideration. Of course, anything like this, you would go into knowing full well what you're getting into. But it is a real consideration now. Of 
you know, you pretty much got coaches working 365 days a year. It's like, hey, you know, if I can make good money doing something else, is that a better life right now than the grind of being a college coach? Because it, it seems like anybody who can find that pipeline to the NFL right now is pretty happy to take that uh, that off ramp if it's, it's available to them, it appears. Oh, I think so. I think the whole, you know, idea of college coaching college football is different than it was when I played. So I think the schedule, it just fits better in the NFL because college coaches, it's nonstop. I mean, once you're you're done with the season, you're right into recruiting, right in recruiting to spring practice and into the summer. So it's it's a nonstop job. It's a grind. And you have to be all in to, to be successful um, coaching college football. Really quick before I let you go, did you know Josh Crawford before he was hired here? I know he's been a big part of the high school football community for a long time and having also coach at Tech and uh, Western Kentucky. Uh, how well did you know Crawford before he got this job? I just became uh, close with Crawford this season. He was okay. recruiting LeBron Gatlin out of Milton. So we uh, really i have kept in touch. I sent him a text um, once I heard that he got the job. So I don't know him as well as Coley, uh, but uh, our relationship has definitely uh, became stronger throughout this whole recruiting process. Good to hear that. Well, listen, Terrence, we love the work that you're doing out there with receivers and football players of all positions there at Mount Vernon, of course, as head coach, but also with the Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy. So if people want to be the next Travis Smith, the next C.J. Wiley, the next LeBron Gatling, the next you know guy that you've worked with, uh, how can they get in touch with the uh, Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy and get a, a part of that training that you've been doing here over the course of the last you know several weeks here as a part of that sort of bubble season? We're kind of pre-spring practice for a lot of these high school programs, and this is when the real work's taking place. So if people want to be a part of that, how can they uh, how can they engage with you? Right. You can find me on all social media at Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy. Terrence, great stuff. We appreciate your time, and uh, we'll look forward to chatting with you again very soon. take a look around the rest of the league this is sec through all right good stuff from uh, terrence edwards there and interesting to hear his candid thoughts i mean obviously if you're being mentioned the way that some georgia fans are mentioning edwards well of course you would have to take that seriously the idea of maybe i you know you know, could be a college coach and i do truly believe that edwards will be i should call him edwards he's terrence uh <laughs> I say that like, you know i mean i think that terrence will will be a college coach at some point in time i mean he is working on the kind of resume that, of course, would, would would give him that opportunity. Now, I do think, as he said, listen, you also got to think about how that impacts the the family that you're trying to raise and things like that. So there's some strong considerations, but he and his brother, Robert, you know, Robert's the head coach of Washington County. I know uh, it had been talked about a little bit of, you know, a guy like that, former Georgia running back. Maybe he should be, you know, running backs coach to a place like this. Either way, I love the fact that there's no really better pool, I think, to pull from in terms of your best college coaches than, you know, these very um, dedicated high school coaches in a state like Georgia. I just think that's what you want. And look, I do take, people talk about like, you know, talent drain, you know, coaches leaving the NFL, things like that. I do take the quality of the coaches in college football very serious because I've got a chance to know some of the you know players who play this sport, the families of the players who play this sport. And the thing that's valuable to them Perhaps the most valuable thing of all is the relationship they have with the coaches that impact their lives. And so we want that to be the highest quality potential coaching you can get. And so I would say that as you look to sort of generate your next generation of SEC coaches and coaches across you know college football, 
you know, looking to the high school ranks in a place like Georgia is probably a pretty good place to do that in terms of who's next. And we already see a lot of that taking place on a fairly regular basis. Anyway, all right, we got Jake Fromm here coming up in a moment. Prior to that, let's get ready to go cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Crib, and let's get you ready for Allure of the Seas coming up in our Dog Nation cruise in April. We've had so many meetings as of late uh, about our Dog Nation cruise, and I'm not probably supposed to say this, but um, I think we're going to do something kind of cool for the people who've now kind of been with us on multiple Dog Nation cruises. We've got a uh, really a large handful of folks who are now coming back on a Dog Nation cruise after having been one of our previous Dog Nation cruises. So I think we're going to kind of try to honor them kind of a cool and special way. So uh, stay tuned for more information on that. I am not supposed to say that, but uh, a little bit of a tease on something as it relates to that. And we watched this video uh, that uh, that Cody's put together here. And boy, how nice is this? When you think about an Oasis-class ship like a lure of the seas for our Dog Nation cruise, look right there. That's the Central Park neighborhood. When you look in on that, I mean, you talk about just walking around that with the actual live foliage, and it's like you're walking in a park, and you could, you know, not even realize realize you're at sea. Just an amazing experience. One of the things that's going to make our Dog Nation cruise so fun, we're going to Perfect Day Coco Cay. Y'all know how much I love that. We just got uh, had some folks get back on the lure there, bragging about how much fun they had. Can't wait to do all of this with you. So Jessica Slater, she can help you out with all of your Royal Caribbean cruise vacation needs. You can give her a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. You can also email her, jslater at dreamvacations.com. That's jslater at dreamvacations.com. I also mentioned a moment ago, uh, Cody Chaffins, who's been working with us and you know does a lot of the video stuff that you see. Really, uh, you know, the video product we've put out the last few months has been upgraded in such a huge way, and Cody's been a big part of that. Now Cody's going to be a regular part of our Dog Nation Daily team, this uh, kind of coming out here. So I'm really excited about that to have Cody as a part of what we're doing here. Uh, just just really, really good stuff. So uh, our team's getting bigger and getting better, and I love that. Glad to have Cody here now on a regular basis. Before we get Jake from, let me give you a couple of stories. And if we can, can we put the Ross Dellinger tweet from earlier or, or uh, X post uh, from earlier on uh, the screen if we have that chance? So this is the news that's out there, and this is not like a hypothetical thing that could happen. It's also not a done deal, but we're heading fast towards, before we even implement the 12-team playoff, already looking ahead to a 14-team playoff, where it's three automatic qualifiers for the Big Ten and the SEC, a couple of each for the Big 12 and the ACC, one for the group of five, and then a total of three at-larges. As Ross says, it's not finalized, and it's not the only option. Uh, there's more discussion and vetting that's expected. You'll remember, I believe we discussed this the other day, the SEC and the Big Ten originally wanted four. They're going to settle here on three, and then you'll save some at-large spots here. It's really interesting how much nobody seems to like this. And I guess in one respect, I get this. I'm not necessarily against expanding the playoff. I think I have some tolerance for the playoff up to about 16 teams. I say when you get beyond that, you've probably got a little bit of a problem. But I think the expanded playoff for this year, I think 12 is better than four. I do. And I don't know that 14 is much different than 12. I really don't. I think that some people, and I do understand this argument for the most part, they don't like this automatic qualifier deal because, as others have mentioned, you listen to like the powers that be that are kind of talking and being quoted in these stories. A lot of this is about you know access. Hey, the Big 12, the ACC, lesser leagues want to make sure they still have some seat at the table. The, the SEC, the Big Ten, they know they have supremacy. Look at, for instance, look at the 2024 signing class and go to like whichever website you prefer, on three, 24-7, whatever, and look at those rankings, the, the composite rankings. Look at 
how many of the top 10, top 20 teams are either in the SEC or in the Big Ten. It's almost the entirety of that, that really the ACC and the Big 12 already always, to a degree, lesser leagues have been relegated even more so than that as of late. And so therefore the SEC, the Big Ten, they're saying, perhaps rightly so in their mind, we want to be treated as you know, superior leagues to these others. But to a lot of fans, and this is where I think you have a very important discussion, to a lot of them, it sort of feels like all of this is just sort of predetermined. You know, you're not earning your way in based on how you play. It's all just predetermined. And to some people, the regular season, the importance of that's being lessened again. So like a lot of the recent changes being announced in college football, this one not official yet, it's just amazing how tepid the response is on the part of fans. And how many times can you do things your fans don't really like before your fans have a little bit of a uh, of a recoil uh, about the sport? I, I don't know, but the powers that be seem intent on putting that to the test. Briefly here, I'll mention one more potential change that looks like it could be on the way. And we talked to Jake Fromm about this last week. A change from signing day, which used to be in February, then essentially moved to December, although the February date still existed. Now it could be changing again. There's been some talk about the beginning of December, but as of late, the most recent talk is about moving it to the end of June, which creates all kinds of potential problems for high school teams and maybe even high school seniors who decide to forego their senior season. But for the football coaches, they're like, well, if we can do this in June, that means we can have some vacation in July, which as it stands right now is probably the only time they get to have off. So uh, we'll see about that. Uh, that could be another big change that's on the uh, way here very soon. And we'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And speaking of Jake Fromm, we'll now bring him on the program as part of a Kroger Fresh Take here today. Great to have Jake here on the program. And Jake, before I kind of get into some of the stuff that's going on with Georgia, let me talk about the playoff thing here, because I know you and I have talked about this here a little bit. You know, we haven't even gotten to a 12-team playoff. That's happening for the first time here this year. But there's already talk of moving to 14 now, and this is more than just conjecture. This is like a real discussion that's happening in some real boardrooms. And there's talk of, well, the SEC would then be guaranteed three teams, the Big Ten would be guaranteed three teams, the Big 12, the ACC, they'd only be guaranteed two. It's almost like we're sort of dividing up the playoff pie before the games have actually been played. A lot of fans don't like this. Does this sound like a wrong direction for you for where college football should be going? Yeah, if there's anything that I've learned with college football is like if you give them an inch, they're going to take a mile. Yeah. Um, I, I just I want the best 12 football teams in there. Like, I don't care what conference they come from. Um, I just I want the best 12 teams. And man, if we can figure out a an algorithm, well, I guess we tried the algorithm thing with the with the BCS. Sure. And you know that, that, that got it right most of the time. You know, generally with with 12 teams, you're going to give yourself a better chance of getting uh, the best 12, best 12 teams in, um, and then letting them duke it out in a, in a, you know, in a tournament style. So, um, I am interested to see that. And, um, I, I think once we start bidding where each conference starts getting a certain number of teams, I, I think we're getting away from, um, the, the, the good idea of what brought us here and that just being, Hey, we, we want the best 12 football teams, uh, and give them an opportunity to go win a national championship. And see what you're saying right there, I think is what's so frustrating for a lot of fans, because you describe it in one sentence, Hey, let's just get the 12 best teams, put in the playoff. And yet when fans listen to the actual powers that be talk about this stuff, like that phrase never comes up. It becomes about how do you divide the money or how do you guarantee access to lesser leagues or how do you do with the political part, the the, the boring part. 
the whole idea of, hey, this is a fun sport. What if we got just like 12 best and let them play in a tournament against each other and saw who the very best was out of those 12? It's almost like that very simple idea that virtually everyone agrees with never actually comes up in the actual conversation that takes place with the powerful people. And that's what sometimes just sort of drives fans crazy. No, I mean, you're you're exactly right. It's it's about TV deals and matchups and, uh, you know, fan bases and, and travel and so many other things that they go on with it. Look, I, I don't care. I, I just I, I want good parity in college football. I want good teams. I want good games, um, you know, and, and, and I don't care where they come from. You know, if it's four teams from the Pac-12 and four teams from the group of five and only one team from the SEC, I don't I don't care. I just want good football. Um, and I, I think that's. I think that that's an opinion that resonates a lot with a lot of college football fans, and um, I, I hope that we don't get away from that idea. So I want to talk to you about James Coley a little bit. This is a guy that you know really well. He's back as Georgia's wide receivers coach. He was also your offensive coordinator in 2019. Let me just sort of start with sort of a general question, and we'll kind of drill down from there. What did you think about uh, Coach Coley now returning to UGA? Yeah, I think it's awesome. I think it's a great fit. Um, I think it's needed. Uh, you know, he's a guy who – who understands uh, the building, understands the culture, understands what it takes to to win. So um, he's been around a lot of winning football, um, and I'm excited to see him uh, come back and um, man and do great things uh, here at UGA like he's done before. So I think a lot of people look back on that time for him as offensive coordinator in 2019, and I think it's sort of easy to kind of wonder, okay, what the full story was with that. You know, you had been starting quarterback for George, obviously, in 2018. Y'all were one of the highest-scoring offenses in the SEC. I mean, y'all you averaged, what, 38 points a game, which in that era was what was a lot, obviously. Um, one of the highest-scoring offenses in the SEC. The year after Coley, that's when Todd Munkin comes in, and by 2021, this is a team that's also you know scoring right there among the best in the country. But 2019 was a little different. It was not quite as prolific as you had been in previous years, and it would not be as prolific as the Todd Munkin offenses would prove to be after that. People talk about, you know, injuries to wide receivers and perhaps a little bit of a, you know, kind of a sort of an influx situation there in that room. Obviously, some of the fingers of blame get pointed to Coley himself. You know, as the starting quarterback for that team, how would you kind of describe what the situation was like with the Georgia offense that particular season? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, a culmination of a lot of different factors um man i you know you mentioned our you know receiver room stayed pretty banged up um i mean it was coley's first uh, experience as a, an offense coordinator and a play caller and there's just a lot of uh, of factors that that um just uh, factored into maybe not having as much of success as years before and, and years after but um hey i i i can't put a finger or, or you know point a finger on any uh, particular thing um, and, and man at the end of the day we uh, came up a little bit short and, and didn't accomplish our goal of winning the national championship and that's something that that's always going to you know stick with me so you mentioned you know, a moment ago you know being happy to have coach Coley back and one of the things he's obviously you know well known for is being a really good recruiter in fact we've already heard from receivers that he will be recruiting they're already kind of saying some nice things about him I'm kind of curious I think generally a lot of us have some idea of, of why this is 
But for those coaches that kind of develop that relationship, oh, good at forging relationships, you know, good at, at uh, you know, creating those kinds of bonds. Like, what is it that makes a guy like James Coley a good recruiter? And how is it that he's able to kind of forge the relationships that oftentimes lead to commitments and uh, signings on National Signing Day? How do the good recruiters truly do it? Yeah, I, I mean, Coley just brings a lot of energy um, and it's, it's genuine energy and, man, excitement. Um, and I, I think that, you know, just comes from his personality, you know, his culture. And, um, man, he's just – he's fired up all the time. And uh, I think that sticks, you know, sticks well with, uh, with young kids and young men um, in high school and in college. And uh, it's something that they gravitate towards. It's our Kroger Fresh Take with uh, Jake Fromm here today on Dog Nation Daily. And by the way, speaking of Kroger, you want to gravitate towards something that can be uh, great for you. How about becoming a member of Kroger Boost? When you do so, you get great benefits, more money, more time. You want to be able to get twice the fuel points and the things you're already buying at Kroger. Why not save some money at the pump when you do that? That's what Kroger Boost gives you a chance to do. You can also get free grocery delivery there as well. So make sure you check out the website. It's Kroger.com slash boost. That's Kroger.com slash boost. And you can be a part of all of that today. The, the membership model from Kroger, Kroger Boost, a great way to save money, have more time. You can enjoy all of that today. Uh, Jake, Josh Crawford also hired his running backs coach, a guy that I think has kind of a cool resume. Obviously, you're a guy that loves high school football in Georgia. And he's been at Lee County. He's been at uh, uh, Caucus County, been at Valdosta. He's been at GAC, some of the really big-time programs. And, you know, my belief is when you have a chance to bring in a guy like that that has such, you know, deep ties to our state – you know, I just think that's always a, a really valuable thing to be able to do. Crawford's not a guy that I really knew prior to all of this. I've learned a lot more about him, you know, since he's been in the mix for some of these jobs here. But, boy, I really like the resume, and I love those ties, especially down to South Georgia. I think that can be a really valuable commodity for, for UGA. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I, I do, too. I, I want, you know, very similar to you. I'm not, not super familiar um, with him. Don't know him on, on a personal level, but uh, everything that I'm hearing and and seeing as far as the resume goes, uh, man, it, it, it adds up and it's going to uh, speak well. And I think he's going to do uh, some really good things here at, at UGA. And, uh, you know, as, as far as Kirby, you know, from a hiring process, he, he didn't deviate too far from the formula. Right. Uh, Coach McGee, you know, another guy who has, uh, you know, deep Georgia ties, middle and south Georgia, understands high school football in the state. And, you know, he didn't go too far from the formula and it hired a very very similar guy with a very similar resume. Uh, before I let you go, this is kind of off the radar of Georgia football, so not everybody in our audience is going to care as much about this, but it's been kind of a hot football topic here. The fact that a guy that you work with this past year, Eric Bieniemy, is leaving the NFL, and I believe, I don't think it's official yet, but I think he's expected to be hired as offensive coordinator at UCLA, kind of charting a different path for himself after having left Andy Reid to go kind of run his own offense there in Washington, now leaving the NFL altogether to come you know, work with Sean Foster in UCLA. Any thoughts from you on – you know, be enemy kind of after kind of not getting that head coaching job. I think that he was hoping uh, to get now going to try his hand at college here and uh, running an offense there as UCLA goes in the Big Ten. Any thought from you on that? Just given the fact that you worked with him there this year in Washington. Yeah, I mean, very surprised that uh, that he didn't get an opportunity. You know, to uh, to be an NFL head coach. Thought. Um, he was definitely worthy of an opportunity. Um, I think uh, Coach E B is a great coach, and um, he he does all the little things right. And 
I don't know. We'll see. Time will tell if he'll, you know, kind of get back uh, and and have his name in the running and in the hat for those types of opportunities. But uh, excited to see what he's going to do in college. I think, um, you know, his his style, his scheme, I think, you know, can transcend both into the college and in the NFL. So um, obviously he has a great track record and uh, excited to see what he's going to do. Jake, it's always great to have you here as a part of our program each and every week. We love that as a part of the Kroger Fresh Take. Thanks for your insight on a guy you know really well in James Coley and everything else going on with these Georgia Bulldogs. Have a great week, and we will look forward to getting a chance to do this with you again very soon as well. Thanks, Brennan. As always, always a pleasure. Uh, man, always glad to be here. Good stuff. Thank you. And as we uh, say goodbye to Jake Fromm and get ready to say goodbye to all of you there as well, let's do so with our golden shoe. Not a great night in the final score column last night for the Diamond Dogs. They do lose a midweek game to Michigan State. You don't make as big a deal about the midweek stuff. But how about Charlie Condon? Three home runs last night. Had it at bat to get a fourth, which would have put him in the Bob Horner category with four home runs in one game. Those of a certain age will remember that. Uh, but what a what a night for Charlie Condon. And uh, how about me? This is, I'm bragging. This is the first time I've ever used uh, a video with our golden shoe graphic. I was pretty happy with myself for uh, putting all that together. The reason why it looks so dark is because they do the LED lights on the home run. But uh, but how about that for uh, Charlie Condon last night? Three home runs. We're going to give him a golden shoe for an incredible performance. And you want to enjoy something right now that Charlie Condon shows clearly that. He was player of the week, uh, you know, uh, last week for the, you know, the the work that he's done. And now three home runs last night. This is truly a great player here right now. A lot of fun. Golden shoe coming his way. Lousy, stinking Gators. Nothing but misery and pain coming their way. And it has been a very long time since they have beaten the Georgia Bulldogs. How about 1,209 days? That's our Gator hater updater. We'll see all of you back tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily presented by Merriweather and Tharp.